Well, I am, uh, I'm guessing that most of us, if not all of us, were born in the United States. Am I wrong about that? Probably most of us. Maybe you've never lived outside of Lancaster County a day in your life. And so we probably don't think a whole lot about becoming a United States citizen. Do you know that immigrants seeking United States citizenship need to take a vow entitled the Oath of Allegiance, which renounces their citizenship of their home country? The vow goes like this. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God. It's a big commitment. Big commitment. They renounce their old citizenship in exchange for new citizenship. Turning from one to another. This looks a lot like how God calls us to respond to Him. He calls us to renounce our citizenship in sin and turn from it as we swear allegiance to Christ alone because we want Him more. There is no dual citizenship in the kingdom of God. Can you have both? Can you have Jesus and your life of sin? Well, as you know, I like some rap. Some rap, all right? But so much of rap culture as I see it is totally hedonistic and vulgar. Um, Some rappers, they end up liking Jesus, but they still produce records with this insane, explicit content. It doesn't really make any sense. Kanye West is one of them, LL Cool J, Puff Daddy, to name a few. One rapper, uh, Jason Taylor, a.k.a. Game, that's what he calls himself, released an album last year entitled Jesus Peace. Here's what he said in one interview. I'm calling my new album Jesus Peace because last year in August I got baptized and so I've been going to church, but I still been kind of doing me out there. I still love the strip club and I still smoke and drink. I'm faithful to my family, so I wanted to make an album where you could love God and be of God but still get it popping in your life. That's peculiar. <laughs> It doesn't sound like he wants Jesus more than his sinful life. It sounds like he wants to keep his sinful lifestyle and just add a flavor of Jesus to it. Can you have both? In another interview he said, I'm a Christian, but I'm not holier than thou. You can still have swag and be a Christian, he says. You can still have your Ciroc or vodka in the club. It's just a faith thing. And making sure you try to do right. Swag? It's just a faith thing? You try to do right? That doesn't sound anything like Jesus. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, Christians are not sinless, 
All right, we, we struggle deeply with sin. I do, I still do. And, uh, and Christians don't even claim to be sinless. But they do unequivocally, unequivocally renounce their citizenship in sin. They see it, label it, fight it, and mortify it in their lives. John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. So is the Christian life. In this sermon series, we've covered the gospel, God, man, Jesus. And we're going to shift into the response to that gospel. Everyone responds to the gospel. All right, either they reject it or they accept it. But everybody responds. Many reject it, but what does it mean to receive it? What does it mean to receive the gospel, to receive Jesus Christ? Do you say a prayer and invite Jesus into your heart? Do you walk an aisle or raise a hand? Do you attend church, get baptized, and become a member? How does God want us to respond to the gospel? Now, I'm going to challenge your thinking. I'm going to stretch you a bit this morning. Okay, because many Christians, if not most Christians, misunderstand how God wants us to respond to the gospel. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps you misunderstand. Um, So I'm going to make a case for you this morning. I'm going to appeal to you, and I'm going to ask you that you test what I'm saying against the scripture and see if what's coming out here is not the biblical response to how we should respond to the gospel. If we love God, then it's best we know how God wants us to respond to the gospel. Amen? Because we love him, so we want to respond. So if you find that this stretches your thinking, if it's a different angle for you this morning, just listen, think it through biblically, and test it against the word of God. First, the misunderstanding of repentance. In a nutshell, here's the misunderstanding as I see it. The response to the gospel has been reduced into an outward ritual instead of an inward heart change followed by life change. The response to the gospel has been reduced into an outward ritual instead of an inward heart change followed by life change. We've reduced the biblical response into repeating a short prayer and inviting Jesus into our heart rather than experiencing a heart change that produces in us a hatred of sin. A joyful turning from sin and a commitment to kill sin in our lives. We've tried to make it convenient and easy for people and therefore we've reduced it to be something mostly outward because you can measure a prayer. And who says a prayer? Often we give people false assurance, yet they have never been changed by the gospel. Are we calling people to respond how Jesus called people to respond? But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus said, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You see, Jesus didn't make it convenient. He didn't make it easy. So how does Jesus want us to respond to him? If it's not repeating a prayer, if it's not inviting him into your heart, what is it? Here it is. Remember this. This is key, but it's so easy to remember. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. That's it. 
You want to be saved? Repent and believe. Turn from sin and trust in Christ. Well, here's how it applies to my family. My kids are very precious to me. They're young. I want to teach them. And so from the start, I've desired to see a heart change in my kids, a grief over their sin, a hatred of it, and a commitment to turn from sin daily and to love and trust Christ. That's what I want to see. I share the gospel with my kids. I read the scripture. I want them to be sharp and to know what's in God's word. And so we do that. But in order to produce what I'm talking about, I can't do that for them. God has to produce that result. God has to produce that life change in them. I'm not looking for my kids to just say one prayer I'm trusting God's grace to change them and produce in them a life of continual repentance from sin and faith in Christ. That's what I want to see. Repentance and faith is the biblical response. A great theologian, John Murray, wrote, Repentance is the twin sister of faith. We cannot think of one without the other. And so repentance would be conjoined with faith. Greg Gilbert, in his book, What is the Gospel, wrote, That command, repent and believe, is what God requires of us in response to the good news of Jesus. So whatever the misunderstanding may be, whatever it is for different people, God has plainly directed us to respond by turning from our sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same wooden nickel. Remember those wooden nickels? Trade them in for a prize. Today we tackle repentance and next week we'll tackle faith. So what is the meaning of repentance? The word for repentance in the Old Testament is shuv. And it means to turn back. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return or repent to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Notice that true repentance is abandoning your own way. Abandoning your own thoughts and turning to the Lord so that he gives compassion and pardon. Repentance is first in the heart. Greg Gilbert said, Genuine repentance is more fundamentally a matter of the heart's attitude towards sin than it is a mere change of behavior. Do we hate sin and war against it, or do we cherish it and uh, defend it? End of quote. So repentance is a change of disposition of the heart. You begin to be rewired toward your view of sin. Um, God says in Ezekiel 14, 6, Repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. So in order to turn from things you value more than God, there must first be an awakening in your heart of a greater affection for Christ. The New Testament word for repent is metanoeo. Here's one definition I found. To change one's life, way of life, as the result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. So because your heart is changed, your behavior is then changed. Your mind is changed. 
And so you see and you recognize sin. Your affections are changed. And so you hate sin. Your will is changed. And so you choose to reject sin. Repentance begins invisible and becomes visible. And repentance is more than recognizing sin and feeling really badly about it. You see, many people feel badly about their sin, but they don't change. They don't turn from it. The brilliant thinker Wayne Grudem uh, wrote, It is important to realize that mere sorrow for one's actions, or even deep remorse over one's actions, does not constitute genuine repentance unless it is accompanied by a sincere decision to forsake sin that is being committed against God. So repentance is not just feeling badly, feeling really guilty, but then you continue down the line of following your sinful patterns. You see, true repentance is hating it so much that you commit to turning from it, to regularly turning from it. To turn your back on it, to hate it, to forsake it, to turn away. True repentance is not, I want Jesus and my sin. True repentance is, I want Jesus more than my sin. And so I will hate it and turn my back on it. My sin must die. That's repentance. Look at Matthew 13, 44 through 46. It's a great illustration of repentance and faith. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So he goes out and he finds a treasure. He finds it valuable, irreplaceable. He wants it so badly, so he covers it up and he leaves and he goes and he sells everything that he has. Because his attitude is, I will part with this stuff that I currently have in order to gain something I want so much more and this is just nothing compared to what I'm going to get so I'm going to joyfully sell it all and I'm going to go and I'm going to buy that treasure that I want so desperately. He really, really wants it. So what does he have to do? He has to sell everything. The selling is repentance. You turn from it all to gain something better in Jesus Christ. He can't keep his possessions. He can't hold on to his possessions and at the same time buy the field. You can't have both. He must sell it all. And he does so joyfully so he can have something better. That's repentance. Then look at 45 and 46. Whoop, still up there. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. Now, he saw an exquisite pearl. He hadn't seen it before. And he looks and he sees the value of the pearl and he says, I must have that pearl. But I don't have the resources. I've got to turn from everything that I have. I've got to sell everything that I have so that I can gain that one pearl of great value because it is precious to me. That's what repentance is. You sell it all. What he had didn't compare to what he wanted, so he walked away. True repentance is selling it all in exchange for the greater value of Jesus Christ. Have you sold it all? 
And I hope you don't hear me say all of your possessions. God may not want you to do that. But have you sold it all? Have you turned from it all? The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon said, there must be sorrow for sin and hatred of it in true repentance or else I have read my Bible to little purpose. In very truth, I think there is no necessity for any other definition than that of the children's hymn. Repentance is to leave. The sins we loved before and show that we in earnest grieve by doing so no more. God is calling you to let it all behind. Let it go. Drop it and gain Christ. He's calling you to turn from your sin. And yes, we all continue to sin. Of course, we're going to wrestle with that until we die. But we need to commit to mortifying it in our lives. Two more things in defining repentance. One, repentance only makes sense if there are clear, established guidelines. All right? This is sin, that is not. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. And this is where we must know our Bibles really, really well. Uh, Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The Bible is where God communicates His guidelines. How well do you know your Bible? How well do you know the boundaries that God has set for us? The joyful life. You can't know it this deep. You've got to just keep searching it out so God can unfold for you his will and the way that brings the most joy. Are you calling evil good by mistake? Are you calling good evil by mistake? Be careful. Two, most people, they can remember back to a time when they repented and trusted in Christ. But repentance is not limited to that one moment. Repentance is lifestyle. The Christian life is repeatedly recognizing your sin, confessing it, turning from it, and committing to obedience. Constantly. You just keep coming back to that. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Keep repenting. Keep believing. John Calvin said... The life of a Christian man is a continual effort and exercise in the mortification of the flesh till it is utterly slain and God's spirit reigns in us. Well, we know what repentance isn't. We know what repentance is. And now we can better understand what God commands, the mandate of repentance, the mandate of repentance. God commands everybody to repent. No one gets a pass on this for any reason. Everyone is called to repent. From the beginning, Jesus proclaimed repentance. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Did you hear Jesus say, I want you to come forward. I want you to raise a hand. I want you to walk an aisle, say a prayer. No, he commanded them to repent and believe in the gospel. Both verbs that he uses are imperatives. They're commands. He's not suggesting here. He's commanding. He's demanding that we repent. Now imagine a police officer. All right, he goes in and he says, uh, Excuse me, everyone. I hate to bother you. 
don't want to be a nuisance. I apologize for the interruption, but could you all please just lower your guns? Um, It would be okay either way for me. Whatever you choose is fine. But if you would, I'd kindly ask that you you drop your guns. That's not how... Look, serious situations call for a serious declaration. You got to get up in their face. This is the police. Drop your guns. If you don't drop your guns, I'm going to shoot you. You know, it's, it's that type of thing that, that puts fear into people. Well, with eternal seriousness, Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I, I just don't think you can get more persuasive than that. It's a serious situation. Eternity is serious. In that same spirit, Peter commanded in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Same thing in Acts 3.19, repent therefore and turn again. Each one of those is a command. Repent. It's an imperative now, when we hear command, we can sometimes tend to say, or feel at least, my freedom's being threatened. Don't you tell me what to do. And we get kind of threatened by commands. But we really know better because if the command, uh, don't steal, comes out, maybe don't tell me I can't steal, but you're forgetting that on the flip side of that, that protects your personal property and freedom. And so if we're just honest enough and we strip it all away and say, okay, are commands good for me? They are really good for you. They are promoting freedom for you, especially repentance. But to be fair, when a a command comes out, we automatically kind of think what's in it for us. And so if if we're going to say that it's a good command, we have to then prove that there is something good that comes out of this command for us. The motivation of repentance, the motivation of repentance. Now, I'm using motivation here in two ways. First, motivation as the cause or power that moves you to repent. And secondly, motivation as the penalty or reward in repenting. Okay, so first, what causes repentance in you? Just like faith in Ephesians 2.8, God gives repentance as a gift. We repent in cooperation with God's grace in us only because he takes the initiative and works repentance in us. Now, where do we see that? In John 6, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So in order to come, we need to leave sin behind can't come if you're grabbing on to sin, but if you let that go and you come, the only reason you come is because God the Father effectually drew you. He pulled you by His grace. Peter and the apostles said in Acts 5.31, God exalted Jesus at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. God exalts Jesus so he can give repentance and forgiveness of sin as grace, as a gift. We see in Acts eleven eighteen that God grants repentance that leads to life. God gives us repentance by grace and we cooperate with him. 
He takes initiative in us and we willingly respond. Paul said in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So if we will and work repentance, um, we do so because God first works in us to will and work repentance. God is the cause or power of repentance in us. But what's the penalty or reward? What motivates us from that angle? Now, isn't, wouldn't you agree with me here that eating is better than not eating? Isn't eating awesome? I love food. My wife's a good cook. My mom's a good cook. My relatives are good cooks. Food is great. And it's better to eat than not eat. If you don't eat, you have these weird hunger pains. You end up starving in the end. But if you eat, oh, if you eat, you can smell the food. You can taste the food. It fills you up. It satisfies you. It gives you energy to press on through the day. They have these power foods, you know, and it's, I don't know, carbs are kind of evil these days, but if you eat carbs, you have this energy, right? Food is great. And then you live because you eat. Eating is awesome. Same with repentance. Uh, What if you don't repent? What is the penalty? God is aiming at you, and he's a perfect shot. He doesn't miss. Psalm 7, 12, and 13, if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. God doesn't miss. God will judge you and your sin will ruin you. Ezekiel 18.30 Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. You'll get wasted. It will flatten you. Also, Jesus will denounce you, Matthew eleven twenty. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. All of that's really bad stuff. You don't want that, especially when a feast is prepared for you in repentance. You will be redeemed by righteousness. Isaiah 127, Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. You will live, Ezekiel 18, 32. So turn and live. Heaven rejoices over you, Luke 15, 7. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Your sins are forgiven and you receive the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, 38. Repent and be baptized Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Your sins are blotted out and you are refreshed by God's presence. Acts 3, 19 and 20. Repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You know how refreshing God is when he comes to you and your sins are washed away by the fountain of God's grace. That's good. 
You receive salvation without regret, 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There is a way to be grieved that leads to death, and there is a way to be grieved that leads to eternal salvation and joy in God. The blessings of repentance are just too many to count. And the greatest one of all is that through repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, our relationship with God is restored. We get God back. Your greatest joy is hanging in the balance between true repentance and choosing to hold on to your sin. You cannot have them both. You will never truly be happy. You'll be restless. You'll be miserable. Maybe you'll be happy until you're restless and miserable in the end. You will never truly be happy unless you release sin and cling to the cross. Repentance is not only for us. It's also for others too. And God has set us on a very specific mission of repentance, to spread repentance, the mission of repentance. If we want to be a church that is passionate about the glory of God and that is radically loving to other people, then we must understand God's mission for us. We are to join with Him in spreading a message of repentance, spreading the gospel so that people may find their utmost joy and satisfaction in God. That's our mission. Our mission is to spread the gospel. Our mission is God, man, Jesus. Get the message out and call people to respond by turning from their sin and trusting in Christ. That is our mission. That is our mission. We are calling people to respond to the gospel. Jesus sent people out, painfully common people, just like us to spread his gospel and call people to repent and believe. In Mark 6, 7 through 12, Jesus calls the 12 and sends them out two by two. Verse 12 says, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Their message to the culture was not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Their message to the culture was repent of your sin. Now, I don't want to mislead you here. I'm not saying paint up a nice fancy banner that says you're going to hell and go out and start beating people over the head, yelling on street corners to repent. That is not, don't picture that in what you hear the biblical response. I say as uh, maybe one-to-one or from the pulpit like this, but winsomely and graciously and generously call people to respond by turning from their sin and trusting in Christ. There is a way to do that that, yes, it's going to be offensive because the gospel is offensive, but there's a way to do that that's not being a belligerent idiot out on the street corner, okay? You have to be careful with that, very, very careful with the spirit in which, and not all street evangelism is bad either. Some of it can be very, very effective. Right before he ascended, Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 24, 47, that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning with, do you know what it says? Jerusalem. Beginning with Jerusalem. Our mission as a church is to winsomely, lovingly, graciously 
call people to repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ, starting in Mannheim, starting in Lidditz. This is exciting. And we could have a global reach to take it to all nations. Who knows what God wants to do through Jerusalem church? Now, i got to ask, does that mission scare you at all? Because guess what? When I hear that, okay, you know, <laughs> I, I can do something else. Uh, it's scary. It's scary. But the Holy Spirit is with us and gives us power and courage to accomplish the mission. The disciples were regular men. They were not superstars. They were just like us. But by the power of the Holy Spirit that changed them and just compelled them to go out. And if the Spirit works in this church, He's going to light this place on fire in a good way. In a good way. God's grace. God's grace. And we can change the world. What if we begin to take God's mission more seriously here? What if... This mission of God becomes our passion. We want it badly. Empowered by God's grace and favor, we can do this. Jerusalem Church, God is calling us to be more passionate about Him and more committed to His mission. It is scary, but our message, our message is so good. It can be difficult to share. Like a doctor telling a patient they have cancer. How do you deliver that? I'm glad I'm not a doctor. But unlike doctors, we have a surefire cure. Every time you repent and believe, you're saved. You're saved. In our message, cancer isn't the end. In our message, the diagnosis is the beginning of the cure and unprecedented joy. There is a sickness. There is a cure. And we must lovingly call people to turn from what's killing them and what's killing their joy to what will give them life and abundant joy and blessing. That's what we call people to. Sometimes people get mad at you. Sometimes people wag the finger at you and accuse you of being arrogant and self-righteous. Who are you to tell me? Oh, I'm not telling you. Jesus is. And I'm lovingly calling you to listen to the king. Listen to the king But you know, sometimes patients who are very unkind to the doctor, that happens. But there are also many patients who are so grateful. Thank you for being a good doctor. Thanks for telling me the tough news. I know it was hard on you. And thanks for letting me know there's something that can be done. There's something that can be done. Isn't it exciting to know that we take part in the healing process? What a mission this is. We need to be a church courageous enough to call people to repent and believe with straight and honest yet winsome and loving and gracious words in order to see people restored for their greatest joy and the glory of God is at stake. Look, the application, I'll bring it in for a close, the application of this sermon is really, really obvious. It kind of smacks you in the face. Um, God is calling you to turn from your sin and trust in Christ. There it is. Do that. Turn from your sin, trust in Christ. Turn from your sin, trust in Christ. God is calling you to abandon your sinful patterns in exchange for complete joy in Christ. When you hear that God is gloriously holy, that we were made to delight in him but are alienated from him, that Jesus is able to restore your relationship with God, and you notice that you want to respond to that gospel 
You notice that you want Jesus more. You're craving him and you find out, yes, he's been what I'm looking for. Then you must repent of your sins and trust in Christ. That's it. Will you respond? If you think to yourself, I've never taken my sin serious enough to actually turn from it. I don't think that I've done that, but I want to now because I want Jesus more. I'm beginning to see, Pastor, that Jesus is worth more and I want to get away from what's killing my joy because it's just not working for me and I want to get away from that. I do want Jesus, but I still got a lot of questions. Would you just call me, email me? Let's get together. Let's talk it over. I can lead you through a little bit more. We can dialogue over a course of many meetings, perhaps, just letting you know what it truly means to repent of your sin and turn to Christ and what that looks like in your heart and life. Let's just get together. That's why I'm here. But after God gives you repentance, he also gives you a mission. He sends you on a mission to join him in spreading a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior and our treasure. For the glory of God and for the joy of other people. Jerusalem, God is calling us to great, great things. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just praise you for your goodness, for your holiness, for your righteousness. Thank you for forgiving us Jesus Christ, for giving us hope that at the end of the day we can look at the cross and say, I'm forgiven I love Jesus. I trust in him. He just, I just pray that you work by your spirit something special here in Jerusalem Church that we are gripped by your seriousness and your holiness. We are gripped by the tragedy of sin and how it kills our joy and separates us from you. And God, that through Jesus Christ and the, his perfect life and his death on the cross and his resurrection, that we can find our joy in him. I pray for the person struggling with their sin, that you will convict them of it and give them the strength and the power to turn from it. Give them repentance. As the Bible says, grant them repentance. True repentance. For those who are repenting, I pray that you encourage them. That sin doesn't define them. Jesus defines them. And that they are free, liberated, to join the mission of God to spread repentance and the forgiveness of sin in the name of Jesus Christ. May your spirit change this church. May your spirit lead this church. May your spirit produce incredible fruit from this church. And may you do it now. Lord Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.